Our scripture reading for this morning is from Matthew 25, verses 31 to 40. So if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, the page is 831. I'll give you guys a second to get that. Again, that's Matthew 25, 31 to 40. It says this, When the Son of Man comes in his days and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Word of the Lord. Good morning. Okay, first of all, I feel a little odd. I think you have to be a white man named Nathan to be on the stage today. It's Nathan Brocker, and my name's Nate. Don't call me Nathan. You can call me Nate, please. Um, hopefully, we'll move out of that at some point in the service later. Um, but, hey, it's good to be here this morning. We're taking uh, two weeks of a break from our Hebrew series. We've been on Hebrews, and we'll return to Hebrews shortly. Um, but we're in this phase where the summer, didn't the summer go by quickly? At least if you had kids in school, for me in OUSD, the summer flew by. All of a sudden, we're at this point, uh, the summer season is coming to an end. Uh, fall is coming. Uh, we're having a ministry fair, and we're starting a, really a new season of ministry um, in the fall here at Regeneration. So we're taking a quick break from Hebrews, and we're really going to talk about um, the life of our church, talk about hospitality, talk about community, um, talk about how we do ministry together in this church um, as we move, move forward into the fall. Um, we have this mission statement, uh, inviting people to follow Jesus and experience life um, in the Holy Spirit. Um, and I want to start off by talking about this idea of, you know, a church is not a building, right? And I, I appreciate this building. I really, it's beautiful. Um, but a church is not a building or a time. Um, a church is not the staff or all the Nathans on a stage. Um, but a church is all of us, human beings, friends, neighbors, family, trying to do life together, trying to do this church together in mutuality, sharing, um, encouraging, serving, uh, giving of ourselves, giving of our talents and time to, together. It's, it's all of us um, in this space. So we uh, kind of remind ourselves of that and look at a couple special passages this week. Um, and next week. Um, this morning, before we get into this, would you pray with me again? I want to pray again and ask God to, to speak to us and to help us this morning. Father, in this kind of sacred moment and space, would you just help us to take a breath this morning, whatever we're going through, however we got here this morning, 
um, would you help us just to take a breath and would you speak to us through the scripture? Through this thing that Jesus said so long ago, God, would your spirit speak to us this morning, um, energize us, encourage us, challenge us this morning as we look at this, uh, this beautiful text. Um, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, the thing about teaching this passage about sheep and goats, um, on one hand, as someone who gets to preach, I love it because it's, it's provocative and it's interesting, right? It's kind of in your face, so to preach it is kind of fun and to look at it. Um, on the other hand, uh, it's a little daunting because those of you who have been in church for a while have probably heard this passage before, right? You've probably heard this many times, and I think the danger in a passage like that that you've heard so many times is you can go, oh, there's that sheep and the goats. Oh yeah, I should give water and money away sometimes. Like, like check, got that one, heard that parable, and move on. Um, so I want to encourage us this morning to think about, yeah, maybe you've heard this before, but in this particular time in your life, in this particular space in the life of our church, um, in this space, in, what's, in everything happening in our world, um, in our country, um, can we pause and say, okay, God, what are you saying to me this morning about this? This morning about this idea of sheep and goats and how we serve the least of these. This morning and where I'm at right now as a person and in a community, God, what would you challenge me this morning um, to be about, to learn, to, to move into? Um, when Jesus spoke these words 2,000 years ago, they were in a difficult time. I want to remind us of this context. Remember, there's these people occupied by a Roman Empire, wanting freedom, wondering why God hasn't moved yet and delivered them from the Romans, wondering when God's going to send someone to save them and to change things. They're waiting for God to do something. And these Jewish people, um, particularly, were trying to hold on to this identity as God's chosen people and hold on to this history they had and say, okay, God, we are this unique people for you, so why are we going through this? Why is all this happening to us um, in this time frame. Meanwhile, Jesus is on the scene and he is giving it to religious leaders, calling them hypocrites and calling them out. He's saying fascinating things about how we love everyone. Um, he is healing people. And this is towards the end of his ministry and he says these words. Now, 2,000 years later, some things are very different culturally. We live in a very different um, modern time and place. We wear different clothes, um, we have traffic. Drove around for like half an hour trying to get here this morning. I didn't take like the good loop, and I went on a crazy loop around the runners, getting really grumpy to get here. So we're in a different time, but we have some of the same things that we're facing. 2,000 years later, humans still have a really hard time being good to each other. Nations have a really hard time getting along with each other. 2,000 years later, we have some people who have lots of financial wealth, way more than enough, and we have some people who have very little or, or no wealth at all. So some things are really different, and some things are really similar. And some of us are going through life and going through pain and wondering, God, where are you in this? And how does this work? And how do I, how do I serve you? And how do I grow as a follower of Jesus? So we look at this story this morning. We usually call it a parable in some ways, it isn't technically a parable. It's a story Jesus told about the judgment, about later in the future. And so I want to start off looking at this teaching by trying to have a little fun and get us into it. So this teaching is simple in some ways. There are sheep and there are goats. 
So it's the judgment. It says the king is up on the throne, and he separates the sheep um, and the goats. And so I just want to, just, just for sake, oh, there's a line right down the middle here. You guys see this line right down the middle. So let's just, for the sake of this uh, illustration, you guys are the sheep, okay? This is the sheep. So if you're, you just lucked out, like Mark Enomoto barely, barely, <laughs> he's like, I can I lean? Okay, so sheep, okay? Sheep right here. Um, over here, this line over, your goats, okay? So we got sheep and the goats, just to kind of feel out this story that Jesus is telling. So let's pick it up in verse 34. It'll be on the screen. You can look at it in your Bible. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So imagine these people hearing this in this story, the sheep on the right hearing this, and their immediate response to this deep, beautiful thing that Jesus said is, what are you talking about? Like, there's a, there's a note, and if we've heard this parable before, it's like, oh yeah, I get the story. But there's a note in here, in the story, the first time you hear it, of the sheep saying, what are you, what are you talking about? When did we see you? So look at 37 to 40. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, I almost want to enter with all due respect. <laughs> doesn't say that. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Total confusion, like, what are you, this, this, we've never done that. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to, to me. You did it to, to Jesus. Whatever you did to the least of those brothers in this life, you've done it to me. So there's this congratulatory theme, like, come on, let's celebrate. Come on in, like, like, you have done this beautiful thing. And then the story quickly turns to the goats on the left, right over here, okay? Same thing, and it's as if the goats even haven't heard the first part for the sheep, like they were in a separate divided room, they didn't hear it. So same thing. Then a say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. I'm going to let that, let that just sink in. Jesus saying, you did not feed me. You, you did not clothe me. I was there. I was in need. And you, you saw me and you, you did not. And again, you goats, 
first reaction, total shock, confusion. This makes no sense at all what this king is saying up here. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? It's almost implied, if we would have seen you, Jesus, like, I would have dropped everything, right? If I would have seen you, God, I, I really would have, you know, taken off work and, like, and been there. I really would have. And then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do to the least of these, you did not do to me. And these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal fire. So this deep, immediate thing comes out of, like, whatever you did to the least of those, you have done it for Jesus. Whatever you did not do to the least of these, you, you did not do it for Jesus. Now, I want to give a little, a little more background to this passage. This is Jesus responding in a, a long discourse, telling a whole bunch of parables. Um, can we go back to Matthew 24, 3? This is kind of the start of this whole section in Matthew on the screen. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So it starts off this whole series, the disciples saying, Explain to us what's happening. Like, we don't get what's going on. Can you tell us how this is going to work? Tell us how this is all going to go down at the end. Like, can you help us know this? And Jesus tells a bunch of parables here, like several boom, 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 stories, parables with these deep, beautiful meanings um, about life and the world and heaven. Um, and I want you to remember the disciples and Jews in general and these people around him were often arguing about their own place in everything. Remember that the disciples leading up to this were, were frequently arguing who's first? Who gets to sit next to Jesus in the afterlife? Like, they had this ongoing thing. Sometimes they brought their family into it, and they were like, can, they asked their mom, can you go ask Jesus if I can sit next to him? So they, there's an ongoing thing of these disciples, like, are, am I the best, like, how do I get, am I the best one with Jesus? And for these Jewish people, this ongoing thing of, are we still first in the kingdom? Because we've had this long history with God, like, are we still, like, we're still first though, right? Like, those Samaritans, those, like, they're way off, right? We're still with God though, Right? And so Jesus tells a number of stories of parables, um, and a lot of them have this idea of, of readiness, of be ready. Like, live this life now. Don't wait. You don't know when your life's going to end. You don't know when the end is going to come. You don't know when I'm going to come back. So, so live this life now. Follow me now. Be ready right now for me. And he jumps into this passage talking about how we treat um, the least of these. Now, I want to make a little, a little side note as we look at interpreting this, that there are a lot of scholars who actually believe that when Jesus tells this parable about serving the least of these, that he's actually referring to the disciples that have been sent out. That he's actually referring to, um, my, he even says, my brother is at points in it, that Jesus is referring to, well, when I sent my disciples out, if you accepted them, you accepted me. And I've sent them out. So I've, I've sent out the least of these. I appreciate how Pastor Albert also often mentions, like, here's one way many people interpret it, and here's another way other people interpret that. Um, and that's okay. I appreciate how Pastor Albert uh, does that. So some would say that's what this is about. And that could even lead us to say, um, even thinking about what Nathan Brocker shared, 
of, of missionaries, of those who are serving God, that we need to support them. We need to give them whatever we have. We need to provide for their needs. So that's one way of, of looking at it. I think it has overlap with the traditional way of looking at it. But a more traditional way of looking at it for Christians, for Protestants, is this is this creative way that Jesus tells us about these kingdom values. Jesus says, here are the kind of people that God is welcoming in. Here are the kinds of people that I've been teaching you to be. These are the kinds of people that God wants you to be. So Jesus tells this story. And I, I want to actually back up um, and point out that, you know, I remember when I was like in my early 20s and I started reading Jesus more and I was like, oh my gosh, Jesus cares about how we care for the least of these. <laughs> like I didn't really get that when I was younger. Somehow I missed that passage because we didn't emphasize it. I remember being like 22 and being like, oh my gosh, God cares about poverty and people who need, you know, who are thirsty and who are strangers. Let's jump in. And it took me a while to realize, oh, it's not just Jesus. Like he didn't introduce that in the Gospels. It's actually this whole narrative of Scripture has this theme woven into it from the very beginning. So I want to go back to Leviticus 19 just for a moment, when God is giving the law to Moses, okay? So Leviticus 19, um, the very beginning, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep the Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. So it starts off with these commandments we know, like honor your father and mother, don't lie, don't steal, like, like the basics of this law given to Moses. But then it's only a few verses to verse 9. Uh, we get to verse 9 and 10. This is something I didn't even hear until I was like much, much older. I mean, when you're a kid, your parents tell you in a Christian home, like, hey, God says the Ten Commandments, right? Like, you know, obey your father and mother and don't steal and don't cheat and don't lie and don't kill people. Don't commit adultery. That's really big in Christian school. If you've ever been to Christian school, not adultery is really big. I heard it a thousand times in Christian school my whole life. But I never heard 9 and 10. Verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Like, that's right in the middle of all these, like, really, really well-known Christian things about not lying and the Sabbath, and then this thing of, okay, here's how you farm. You must leave the edges. You must leave some food there so people in need can come and get it. That is how my people will live, said God. And then just a few verses later in verse 33 and 34, says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So way back here in these first laws, it's like you, you make sure you leave stuff for the poor so they can have it and eat. And then, hey, when there is a stranger in your midst, when someone is a sojourner, it is very important in the very beginning of this section that you care for that stranger. As they were in your own family, as they were you, you love them that much. The stranger. So we look at this, and I think if we would look at this passage, the sheep and the goats, if I would go and ask everybody in this room, I don't think anybody would vehemently disagree that we shouldn't, as a church or as individuals, that we shouldn't care for those who are sick or in prison or thirsty or hungry 
where we would debate and disagree is what does that look like in real life, right? I don't think many of you would, are going to come up to me after and be like, I don't think God thinks we should care for those in need. I don't think you're going to do that. But what, where it's going to hit the road, the rubber hitting the road is, what does that actually look like? In our fairly complicated world of 2019, how do I actually do that? How does our church actually live into that together? That's where it gets really messy and hard to figure out. There's a couple questions I want to throw up here. Who are the hungry, thirsty, naked, stranger, sick, imprisoned in our own lives? When you think of this, who comes to your mind? both globally and locally, people that you know, people that you have met, people on your street, on your block, in your family. Who are those people for you? And then this question, so how do we, in a practical sense, because this has to become real and not just a beautiful sermon we hear and we're like, oh, that was like, that's a good story Jesus told. How do we practically give food, water, clothing, hospitality, and visit. Because the reality is we see lots of people who are in need. I mean, if you live near where I live, I can drive in most directions and see a tent city that just popped up like within a minute drive of my house in like three different directions, okay? And I can see a whole bunch of people living in tents really, really close to me. And I think probably a lot of you have, have seen growing, growing homeless encampments. So it's not like you never see people who are in need. But the question is, how do we, how does the Spirit speak to us about when and why and how we, we, we do this? I mean, we see, you know how many Facebook invites I get to ministry fundraisers? Right? Like how many letters in the mail to beautiful ministries, nonprofits doing amazing work? How many invitations I get to things that would be, a, that are really good things, right, that are really important that I would, I would like to go to. I'd also like to see my kids sometimes, right? So that's where it gets really practical. Like, like how do we figure this out in a, in a real life kind of thing? And I, I almost wish that Jesus would have broken it down, like in verse 47, and said, every Tuesday when you see somebody who needs clothing, give them clothing. Like every Thursday when you see someone thirsty or hungry, you, you drop your things and do that on Thursday, like, you know, whenever you get a Facebook invite to a fundraiser, if there's no typos, give them 50 bucks. Like, I, like, I'm being funny, but I'm also being serious. Like, I wish Jesus would just break it down for me because we can be overwhelmed by the opportunity or the need and become numb and then just, go, okay, maybe I'll just do nothing because it's like there's too many things to think about of how this plays out in my real life. And I would challenge us that we need to be listening to the Spirit as the Spirit woos us and invites us to things and not ignore that. That as we follow God, as we are in community, as we are in the Scriptures, as we are praying, that we listen to the voice of God. As we walk by a human being on the street, that we listen to a little urge from the Spirit of God. There are a global, there is a global reality of incredible poverty. There's a global reality that there are people without water, um, people who are not safe, uh, people who are in, in desperate immediate need all over the globe. 
and there are, and there are people in this church who are connected to ministries, who are in those places and, and serve those places, and that is one way that we can flesh this out, is, is to find like, these incredible sources of global poverty and, and discuss how, how can we be a part of that. There are people coming from Latin America um, up towards the United States border who are in desperate need of, of the basics of food and water and clothing um, and places to stay. And there are Christian ministries who are down there doing the best they can to love and to provide for people. But there's also, right here in our city, as I mentioned, there are people right around us in deep need. I mean, every morning, right across the street, there is a breakfast for people who need to eat food. People mostly who don't have houses to live in, who come in every Sunday morning right across the street. And any of us, and Billy would be so excited to have a couple more of us go in there and assist in serving the food. I know some people even give haircuts and, and, and love people in different ways. But it's, it's just right here. That's not in Africa. That's like across the street in the morning at the church you go to. There are people who are homeless, who need to be loved um, and cared for. So this is reality. Um, right around us there uh, are people who are in jail or in prison. I mean, right around us. Um, and we have programs in our church, and we have a ministry fair today, and I would encourage you to really think about joining a hospitality team, because we need people who are going to stand out front and see folks walking by and greet people with love and with care and with empathy. Um, we have ESL classes connected to our church. Um, but I also want to encourage us to do this in an in, in organic way. And even think about it this way. There are folks who are strangers right in our pews. Like right here in this room, there are people who are lonely. There are people who are a stranger, like right around you, who need to be welcomed in and invited out to lunch, and invited into your home, like right here, right around us, there are folks who need to be invited in. There are a wide range of people that come through this church, and we need to love one another and reach out to one another. Um, I have a certain person in mind who I won't say, but um, from time to time I see somebody who maybe I invited to, to hear, or I, I kind of know, or I met with before, and I know they don't know anybody, and there's been a couple times when I was like over here after preaching and I saw somebody and I'm like, oh, I need, I want, I need to, before they leave, I want to run over there and get them and make sure they're welcome. And, and I ran over there and then somebody who didn't know them at all from our church, like saw them and got to them before me and invited them to lunch. And I was like, that was beautiful. Like I, like I wanted to be the sheep, but you got to be the sheep before me. Like you just jumped in and not even knowing and were like, hey, can you, hey, how, how are you? I don't know you. There's a bunch of people here, come say hi, like, you want to go to lunch? Like, that's the body of Christ showing hospitality in an, an organic way. So I want to keep these larger realities, but also the people right um, around us, even this morning. How do we love them? So as I wrap up, I'm going to um, invite Doug Hewitt this morning. Doug's been a big part of our church in general, and with 1951 Coffee, and also with serving and hospitality in our church, and he's going to share um, a word with us. So as Nate mentioned, many of you know, I've been working with uh, the refugee community here in Oakland for quite a while, since about 2010. Um, 
And I don't know how many of you know about things happening all around the world uh, with refugees, but right now there are about 60 million people that are displaced, forcibly displaced from their homes, roughly equivalent to all of Canada and all of Australia's population combined and then still add another 10 million people. Um, the average length of time that someone is a refugee disconnected from their home until they're able to find a second home is 17 years. Think about that, that's the average. So that means, yes, there are some people who are less than that, but there are also many people who are more than that. Um, 17 years would be the time of going from birth all the way through high school. It's a long time to be disconnected from anything that you could call home. I remember in early 2010, I was sitting in the home of a Bhutanese refugee here in Oakland. And this is kind of when I began to really get involved with this community. I began to really question what does welcome actually look like? I think for many people like me, maybe at that time when I was sitting in this gentleman's home, uh, I would have thought, okay, if we can just get someone who's a refugee to the US, like then things will be okay. They will be here in the land of opportunity and be able to, to move forward. And I remember him talking, he had a whole host of family and cousins and aunts and uncles and all who were in the house, but he was the one who arrived first. And he was telling me, he goes, you know, people who are arriving now have it so easy. When I arrived about two years ago, uh, an agency uh, picked me up from the airport, they took me to an apartment in East Oakland, and walked in, opened the door, there was a mattress on the floor, they handed me a check for some money, and then they said, Welcome to America. That was my welcome to the United States. He said, I didn't speak English. I didn't even know what this check was, nor how to use it. I didn't even understand that it was money that I could take to a bank. I, didn't, I hadn't, growing up in a refugee camp in southern Nepal, there weren't banks in the refugee camps. It took me a long time before I was finally able to find some people who could help me to navigate the system, to understand what to do with that check to begin my life here. And I was, hearing that story, I, was, I immediately could say, okay, that, that is not welcoming at all. Like this person, yes, they had arrived in the United States, but that was not welcoming. Um, a couple of years later, I began actually working at a refugee resettlement agency here in the United States, being a part of the formal welcome um, that the government system has set up to bring and welcome refugees to the United States. And it's a complex system, and I won't go into all the details, but I also began to realize that while, yes, it would provide a home for someone to live in, and at that time, the agency I was working with, we did a lot more than provide a mattress. We stayed in contact with people for up to six months, sometimes meeting with them daily, providing resources, providing jobs, providing them with all the basic needs they needed for their home. But still, sitting across to the desk from people each day, after all of that work for six months, sometimes a year later, they would still say that early part of their time here in the United States was the most difficult time in their entire lives. Imagine, these are people who have been forced out of their homes, usually through persecution or war, or, you know, they've been through unspeakable journeys to get here to the United States. And they would say the first few months in the United States were the most difficult time in their entire lives. And I began to push into that more. I was like, well, why is that? What do you mean? And they're like, well, when we left our homes, we left everything, not just our physical stuff, but our family and our community. And they said, when we arrived here in the United States, no one saw us. No one knew who we were. 
No one was involved in our lives. We had no friends. We were far away from family members. And so we had no community here. You know, some people would push back and they would, well, there are other people from your country. Like maybe some of your roommates were from your country. But imagine if you and some other random American were taken and dropped down in the middle of another country somewhere and you're put in the same apartment and be like, hey, you guys be best friends and be community to each other. Right? You find how ridiculous that could end up being, that there may be nothing that connects you together other than the country you originally came from. And so for them, it was very difficult to fill that connection that they needed. And I began to realize that ultimately welcoming is more than just giving someone a service or providing a basic need, that it's actually stepping into that person's life and welcoming that person also into your life. And I think, I think Jesus portrays this very well. If we think about it, a lot of times when we focus on the connection that Jesus made for us with God, we focus on his death and resurrection. But there's a reason that Jesus came and lived for 33 years on earth before that event happened. Like, they could have just had, you know, when God was thinking about this whole thing, he goes, okay, we're going to have the incarnation, and then immediately Jesus is going to die, and all of that will be taken care of. But there was a very specific reason that Jesus came and lived here as a human. He made himself vulnerable. He made himself weak. He had to be hungry. He had to be tired. He had to feel pain. He had to feel death. All of those things as a part of welcoming us into relationship with him. He felt what we felt and he saw what we saw in order to be vulnerable to welcome us in to relationship with him. Now, as Nate mentioned earlier, in the Old Testament, it talked to the, the Israelites and said, the reason you need to welcome other people is because you are a stranger. And we may think today, well, I haven't really been a stranger in my life. Maybe I grew up in church, or I grew up in this community, or I grew up maybe even in this church. But I want to, re to remind you of what it says in Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ before Christ died for us, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So we were all strangers, and Jesus made himself vulnerable to welcome us in. And today, relating this back to our church, when we stand here, we have no idea who will walk through our front door. There are many refugees in our community, yes, and they could walk through our front door. As a matter of fact, this afternoon, there's a church that meets here every single day of people who are refugees from Burma. But there are also many, many other people in our community that have stories that we, we don't know where they're coming from. Maybe they've spent their entire life here, but it's taken them 15, 20 years to walk through our front door. It's important that in, when we go through the process of welcoming people here, that it's not just service. All of those things are important. Making sure and reaching your hand out, shaking a hand and saying welcome is important. But that deeper level of welcome involves making ourselves vulnerable, allowing people into our lives and stepping into their lives. I know um, today we're having a, the ministry fair. 
I encourage you to sign up for the hospitality team. Um, I've spent some time the last six years uh, working on the hospitality team in the cafe. Um, it's been a great opportunity both behind the, the coffee bar to get to know people here at Regen, but also across the bar. Um, but also greeting people at the front door. You are the first, pe first people, the first face that gets to welcome someone as they're coming into our community. Um, also in the coming month, the Faith and Justice team here at Regen is also going to be having a training for those who are joining the hospitality team to talk about how we can be more mindful and welcoming, how we can make ourselves vulnerable and step into the lives of our community in order to welcome people in. Thank you, and hopefully you'll, you'll join us. Thank you, Doug. Would the worship team come on, come on back in a moment? Um, and I want to encourage you, you know, there are, like we said, there are many kinds of strangers um, in our midst. Um, but in particular, if you're really drawn and compelled to learn more about um, refugees in general and how to be a part of that, I, I would encourage you, I'll put Doug on the spot, to grab Doug after the service and, and ask him about different things that are happening um, kind of locally uh, with refugees.